Awesome. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Stephen. Ooh, I'm going to put that down. Well, good morning again, church. Isn't it amazing to know that across oceans uh, and using whatever means possible, the Lord will share his gospel to lead people to him? Amen. That is an exciting thing to see that he is moving in incredible ways. And man, I cannot wait to see what he's going to do, uh, continuing to move through us. Hey, grab your Bibles, if you will. We're going to go to the book of Daniel this morning. Daniel is where we're going to be as we start a brand new sermon series entitled Steadfast. Uh, if you've been here with us over the years, you know that in the summer, uh, I think only with one exception, we have always gone through a, a book or multiple books of the Old Testament. We've been kind of steadily marching through the Old Testament. And so go ahead and get that table of contents out. If you don't have a device, you might need it. Uh, you can find Daniel there in the back, and that's where we're going to be studying uh, for the next couple months. Now, Daniel might be a book that you are, some of you are familiar with. There's some very famous stories from Daniel. Uh, uh, that you may be aware of. Daniel in the lion's den would obviously come from the book of Daniel. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. That's right here in the book of Daniel. Uh, the handwriting's on the wall. That's not just a saying. That's actually a biblical event that happens in the book of Daniel. And then if you really grew up in church, you might also know that at the back of Daniel, there's a ton of prophecies. And many people have mined these prophecies, trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come back. And some people have even been so bold and so wrong as to say that they have figured out when Jesus is coming back. So I figured it out and they, they haven't yet. But there are some incredible prophecies here at the back of Daniel as well. Uh, but I think Daniel's gonna be an incredibly important uh, book for us to study this summer because of what it represents. You see, when you, you and I read the book of Daniel, as we will all over the summer, you'll find that it is a time of cultural chaos. Nations are in uproar. Empires come and empires go. There are lion's dens. There is a changing of the guard. There's court intrigue. There are prophecies of the end. There is all this incredible chaos, and yet in the middle of it, there is Daniel who stays solid and steadfast in the midst of all of it. In the midst of all this change and this chaos, Daniel somehow finds a way to be stable and steadfast in the middle of all of it. And what you and I are going to see is that the reason why Daniel can be steadfast is not because of who he is or what he can do, is because that he has put his trust in the God who is himself sovereign and steadfast. What we're gonna learn is, is that our God is steadfast and sovereign over our changing culture and our changing circumstances. Our God, just like Daniel, our God is sovereign and steadfast over our changing culture and our changing circumstances. And that is a message you and I need to fully drink in. And so we're gonna see that as we look in the book of Daniel. Now, a little bit of background uh, about this book before we really jump into chapter one. Uh, we are looking at uh, the exile. If you were here with us last summer, you might remember that God had been warning his people for generations. For literally well over a century and more, he's been warning his people, if you do not turn away from your wicked ways, I'm going to bring judgment on everything. I will come and destroy everything. And he sent prophet after prophet, and they rejected them again and again. They continued to disobey the Lord until finally God says, I'm going to bring my judgment upon you. 
He's going to bring the Babylonians. The Babylonians are going to come and sweep in, and over three successive deportations, they're going to begin taking people out of Israel and putting them in exile in Babylon itself. And after the third wave, they're actually going to come in and just level everything. They will destroy the temple, they will destroy Jerusalem, and Israel, as everybody had known it, will be no more except for this remnant that is in Babylon. And last year, we looked at that, at that group of exiles as they returned to Jerusalem to rebuild. But Daniel is in this first wave of exiles. He's the, one of the very first people who's ever taken from Israel and taken on this long trail of tears all the way to Babylon. So let's look what happens. Daniel chapter one, starting in verse one. Listen to what the scripture tells us. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of his God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And so the king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. All right, so you hear right at the very beginning, we see Daniel and his friends being literally stolen away from Israel and taken into captivity. It says here that they are youths, they are young. Uh, this is most li- these guys are most likely teenagers. And they would have been all guys. It says young men is kind of the word here, but they are being taken away from their culture. And the goal of the Babylonians is that they are going to convert them. They are going to literally indoctrinate them, enculturate them, in the language and the culture of the Babylonians. This is something they did everywhere where they conquered people. And this was really a win-win for the Babylonians on all fronts. Uh, It was a win for them in that what they're doing is they're taking the cream of the crop away from Israel. The best and the brightest, the the, the people who would have grown up to become leaders in the nation, we're gonna remove them. They can no longer be leaders in these nations where we have conquered. So I don't have to worry about them rising up against us. And then another win, we're gonna make them work for us. We're gonna teach them our language. We're gonna teach them our history. We're gonna teach them our mythology so that they will instead serve us us. And so this is a win-win for the Babylonians. And so they take all of these guys and they, they march them into Babylon. And you can see they begin to indoctrinate them for three years. We're going to teach them all of these different things. So much so that they're even going to try to change their names. You can catch that at the end. You might more recognize the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the names that they're called by chapter three, but those are not the original names for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and even Daniel will get a different name. 
You see, in Old Testament times, your name said something. It meant something. Uh, And all of the names of these four guys reference the God of heaven. It references the God of Israel. Whenever you hear the the, uh, syllable Yah or L in someone's name, that is almost always a reference to God himself. So Yah being short for Yahweh, L is kind of the generic term for God in Hebrew. So Danny L, Mishai L, this is a reference to God. Daniel means the Lord is my judge, all right? Also, Yah, Hananiah, Azariah. Okay, these are references to God. Well, we're gonna change all that. So now you get different na- names like Belteshazzar because Bel is a Babylonian God. Abednego, Nebo is a Babylonian God. It says, we don't want you to have names that remind you that you belong to the God, the Lord, Yahweh. We wanna change that to say, no, you now belong to us. You are a part of our culture. You do what we do. They are literally trying to change who they are down at their core. And so now these guys have a problem. What are they supposed to do with this? How are they supposed to deal with this? Honestly, they're having to ask themselves a question. How do I live in this world but not be of it? How do I live in this new world but not be of it. They cannot change their circumstances. There's no way to get themselves back to Israel. They are stuck, most likely for the rest of their lives. They are now in this foreign culture. How are they gonna live in this world without losing their identity? How do I live in this world but not be of it? That's a pertinent question for us today, is it not? Is it a question that you've asked yourself? I bet it's something that we have all thought about sooner or later as we go out in the world because the vast majority of you have a job that is very different from mine, and I recognize that. I work in a church. My job is to come help lead in worship. I gather together with other believers, but for the vast majority of us in this room, if you have a job out in the world, that is not your circumstance, is it? You may work for a secular company that believes certain things or believes nothing at all except that we want to make profit and provide a service. Maybe you have a believing boss. You might be a believing boss, but you may not have a believing boss. And so every day when you go to work, you are working for a company. You may be working out in a culture that does not share your values, and yet you've got to figure out, how do I live in this world but not become of it? How can I continue to be who I am in a culture that is rapidly changing, in a culture that is very different from who we are? And that's something we all got to deal with. That is what Daniel and all his friends are dealing with. And whenever you want to ask that question, there's always going to be two temptations. There's two temptations we all have to face. The first temptation is simply to compromise. Hey, man, I don't want to fight. I don't want people to be mad at me. So you know what? I can just go along with that. I'm good. It's fine, I'll just change what I believe. If that's what the culture says, I believe that too. It's all fine, I'll do whatever you want, it's all good, I'm just gonna change whatever I want. Maybe I was mistaken, you know, maybe maybe this isn't true for everybody, it's just true, you just do whatever you want, all right, make up your own truth, but I'm just gonna compromise. I wanna go along to get in long. When in Rome, do what the Romans do. When in Babylon, do what the Babylonians do. Just Whatever it is, I'm just going to kind of go along with a culture, and there's going to be intense pressure for us to compromise. 
to say, I, I, I don't want to get thrown into the fiery furnace. I don't want to suffer the consequences. I don't want there to be a fight. So I'll just compromise on my faith. I'll compromise what I believe. I'll compromise what I know to be true just so I can get along with culture. That's something we all have to face and wrestle with. But there's an equal and opposite danger as well, and that's to abandon the field. The opposite temptation is to say, nope, not gonna do that. I will not abandon my faith. I'm not gonna do that. But you know what that means? I just can't deal with you people. I just can't. I gotta quit. I'm quitting it. I'm leaving. I gotta leave that whole thing. I don't wanna talk to the culture. I don't wanna engage the culture. I don't wanna hear what the culture is. Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. No, I I don't wanna be around this whole thing. I'm just gonna kind of come over here by myself. We're gonna build a Christian enclave. We're gonna have our own little Christian version of everything. We're just gonna kind of stay over here. You guys are going to hell. Sorry, good luck. But I'm just gonna stay over here and I'm gonna do my own little thing. I'm not gonna be tainted by the world, but I have abandoned the field. I don't want to be over there. And we just ignore it. We write the culture off. We fail to engage. And that is just as bad as compromise. Because you see, Jesus won't offer us either option. Jesus asks us not to compromise in the midst of a chaotic and secular age, but he has put us here for such a time as this. You and I live right here, right now, in this particular decade, in this particular locality, on purpose. God has put us here to be the salt and light of the world. He's put us here to be his hands and feet in the world. We are literally to be the city shining on a hill, taking the gospel to a world that needs it, and we cannot do that if we fail to engage. This is why all the people who who read Daniel and all they care about are the prophecies and they miss the engagement of a culture that desperately needs the gospel have missed wide of the mark. And so when you and I are dealing with questions of how do I live in this world, how do I live in this culture without losing my soul, without losing my faith, Daniel gives us answers. So let's see what they decided to do. Look at verse eight and let's see how they decided to react. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And then deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and all wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. 
And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. All right, so the place where they decided to make their stand was with food. They said, look, you can change our names. That we, we can't really stop that. It's a different language anyway, but that doesn't really change who I am at my core. They can't get themselves home, which is abandon the situation. So they decided to make a stand with their food. They said, I don't want to defile myself with this food. So they concoct this plan. They go to their steward and they said, hey, can you just give us uh, vegetables and water instead of this sumptuous fare, this, this food that's coming from the king's table? We don't want that. We don't want to defile ourselves. Now, this is actually a little bit interesting because you might assume that there's some specific law that they would be breaking by eating the king's food, but it's not that simple. Technically, all of the food, vegetables and all, that would have been given by the king of Babylon would have been defiled. So just having vegetables doesn't really get you around that problem. Furthermore, wine is not prohibited in the Old Testament, and so abandoning that is not a particular thing that they can run away from. It could be uh, that they're trying to avoid pork, and so they said, hey, by avoiding all meat, we're just kind of making sure that, that pork and other uh, animals uh, that are not kosher are, are going to get into our diet, so we'll just stick with the vegetables. Um, but most commentators will say this that instead of just one particular law that they're worried about, they're just making a stand to say, by accepting this is like accepting the culture. Uh, to take in all of this, these things, uh, to take in this food, to accept all of the richness that comes from the king's table uh, would be simply to accept everything that this culture has to offer us and I do not want to defile myself. So we're gonna take a stand with food. Little side note, this is not a biblical affirmation of vegetarianism. I'm so sorry. So if you're a vegetarian, good for you. Uh, but there's a lot of meat eating in the Bible. So sorry. All right. Old Testament, New Testament, it's there. Uh, and so if you like to be vegetarian, that's great. The Bible's not telling you that's your deal. Uh, but these guys say, hey, I don't want to do this. But they said, just give us 10 days. Test this out and see what happens. And God gives them a favor. And this really is kind of a little mini miracle. It's like a miracle in secret because they don't broadcast this. They're not running in and saying, hey, we're not eating your food. They're not, they're not making a big show of it. The only guy who really knows is not even the, the, the chief eunuch. It's the steward who's under the chief eunuch. He says, just test us out. That guy probably got to eat the king's food too. So he was cool to be quiet. And so they just kind of hung out. And what God did was, even though you're on a lower calorie diet, I'm gonna make you fatter in flesh than everybody else. Even though you're on a lower calorie diet, you're gonna bulk up more than all these other guys who were eating all this meat and protein and all these other things at the table. It was a little miracle where the Lord says, hey, I put my favor on you because you chose me, because you want to not defile yourself, because you are hanging on to your faith in the one true God. I am reminding you that I am right there with you in your midst. I am not going to abandon you. But this still begs the question, why did they make this choice? What is really going on here? And there's a couple of important things that we see. The first one uh, is this. They choose to trust in God's sovereignty. They choose to trust in God's sovereignty. They choose to believe that their God is the God over all the universe. He is in control, not simply of one nation or one place or in one time or one people. No, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all gods. 
He is literally the sovereign God who controls all of human history. This is what they believe about our God. He is steadfast, immovable, and we are going to put our faith in him. But that is a hard thing for them to believe, is it not? Put yourself in their shoes for just a second. Remember, these are 16-year-old boys, 17-year-old boys, and they have just been uprooted from their family and taken to a foreign land. Last week, our teenagers went to student life camp and they went up to Tennessee and they got on a bus and they went and took a trip and they had a great week. They just came back. I've already heard some great things. I can't wait to hear more. But in one week, they went up there, had an experience, came back. These guys can't do that. There is no bus home. This is a months long journey. There's no plane, there's no bus, they have no money to get back, they are stuck. And the place where they are stuck is a massive world power. This this is a cultural center and hub for the world that is completely different from their home. Furthermore, they now have no supervision. Remember, their parents don't come with them. Neither do their priests, their prophets, no principles, no church, Nobody to continue to encourage them to follow after the Lord. Nobody to teach and train them to follow after the Lord. They have now found themselves completely unsupervised from all the people who would draw them back to the Lord their God. And look, for our recent graduates who just graduated school, they're about to experience this at college, are they not? You remember that time where you went to college and it was that first time in your life where your parents were not with you? And you know what's going to happen when mom and dad are not there to wake you up to go to church. Sometimes you just don't go to church. Nobody's there to make you do things. You can do whatever you want. You can eat dessert first. It's chaos. Do whatever. You've got no supervision. Some of you remember your college years and you remember that's what you did too. And there's some dark periods you'd like to forget because when you had no supervision, we didn't follow the Lord. We didn't stay true in him. Well, that's what these guys are dealing with. And on top of that, their entire life has just been shattered. They had grown up knowing that the Lord is God over the whole world. Well, if that's the case, then how come the Babylonians are taking over? How come that my city is being destroyed? How come me and all my friends just got ripped away from our families? I'll probably never see them again. All of my dreams are dead. It's not gonna be like I thought it was gonna be. This did not turn out. If God loves me so much, if he's so good, then how could he let that happen? Why in the world would he let that happen? If he's so sovereign, if he's so steadfast, why in the world would he allow something like this to occur? In these moments, they had to be sorely tempted. Tempted to give in to all the temptations of a new era. Tempted to give in to temptations with absolutely no supervision. And tempted to doubt in the midst of all of these different things. They would have asked themselves, where is the Lord? And yet, they choose to put their trust in the sovereignty of God. And for good reason. Let's look at a couple of verses. Look back at verse two and notice what it says here. Back up in verse two, it says this, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into, the hand, into his hand. That's the hand of the Babylonians. Skip down to verse nine now, if you will. In verse nine, it says this, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Skip now then to verse 17. 
In verse 17, it says, and as for these views, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Three different times in this passage, it's saying God is the one who's in control. God is the one moving the Babylonians. They think they're the world power. It is the Lord bringing his judgment. He's actually moving their hands. He's moving the hands of their their overseers, the, the chief eunuch, the steward. It is God who is giving favor and compassion. It is the Lord who's giving them supernatural wisdom and ability. I'm sure these were bright young guys, but God's giving them supernatural ability to be even better than their peers. And then it's God who's gonna have control even over their bodies to say, I can change this, to to take even just these these meager vegetables and turn them into, into greater nutrition than anything else you could have eaten. All through this passage, you see the sovereignty of God. The outward circumstances don't show it, but our God is still in control. And this is where they've put their faith. That even though they don't see it outwardly, they choose to believe that God is sovereign and steadfast over our changing culture and our changing circumstances. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in a similar situation? You might not get ripped away from your family and taken to a foreign land, but I bet all of us have found ourselves sorely tempted to compromise with the culture to give in to the culture that's around us, just to go along, to get along, to not cause any waves. And I wonder how many of us have found ourselves doubting in the midst of a trial through pain or loss. Maybe it was a loss of a loved one that you weren't ready to say goodbye to. Maybe it was a loss of a job or a dream. Maybe it was a trauma that happened in your life. Could have been even a trauma that happened in church. You begin to ask these questions. If God is so good, then how come he let this happen? If God cares about me so much, how could he possibly allow this to happen? Is God even there? And if he's there, does he love me? And if he loves me, does he even have any power to change these things? And you begin to doubt. Instead of banking on the sovereignty, the steadfast nature of who he is, we begin to find ourselves backpedaling and losing our faith. But where else are you gonna put your feet? What else are you going to base your life upon? Because you have to make decisions. You have to make choices. How else are we going to make those choices? Well, for some of us, we just decide to make our choices based on circumstances. We look around at the circumstances and assume that whatever I see in my circumstances, that must be true. Whatever I see, whatever happens around me, I guess that's just what God wants. And I don't fully understand it, but I'm going to see if I can figure it out. And I just look at my circumstances and assume I can understand what God is doing simply by looking at what is happening. Brothers and sisters, please hear me when I tell you this. It is next to impossible, if not impossible, to understand what God is doing by looking at circumstances alone. It is Almost impossible, if not impossible, to understand what God is doing in your life simply by looking at circumstances alone. Well, God opened a door. He must want me to go through it. God closed the door. It must be open. Listen, circumstances are helpful, but you cannot know the mind and will of God by circumstances alone. And if you try, you will ultimately fail and make terrible choices. Do you know why? Because your circumstances keep changing. Why would I put my faith in a sovereign God, a steadfast God, even when I don't understand, instead of the circumstances that I can see? Because God doesn't change, but our circumstances do. This past week, we had a a ton of weather, did we not? 
What do we get? Don't have any flooding? We had flooding here at the church. Just a couple rooms. You can't go in today, all right? We're dealing with it. What, seven inches of rain we got on Wednesday? It was crazy here. If you looked up at the sky on Wednesday, I doubt you would have seen the sun, would you? You looked up at the sun and you didn't see anything. Instead, we just saw clouds. I used to wonder about this. How come some clouds are darker than others? How come some clouds are white and some clouds get really dark and some look almost black? And the reason is, is because the denser the cloud is, the less light that comes through. So this weird thing is that when a storm rolls through, you can look up and that cloud can be so dense that you cannot see the sun. Here's the thing. Has the sun actually gone away? No, it's still there unchanging. But when you look up at your circumstances, when you look out from horizon to horizon, you don't see anything. And if you judge your life by circumstances, you would say, I guess the sun's gone. Throw away your sunglasses. Never need them again. Never go to the beach ever again. The sun has disappeared. This would be a terrible way of living your life because there are two immutable truths. The sun's not going away, but the clouds will. The sun is not changing, but your circumstances will. If you try to judge your life by the circumstances around you, I guarantee you this, God will always be sovereign and steadfast, but your circumstances can and will change often. And if all you do is try to make yourself okay in the present circumstance, this is shifting sand and you will never find security because there isn't any to be found in our current culture or our current circumstances. It will change, but our God is steadfast, amen. Maybe you base your life on your feelings. You say, well, no, Adam, all I can do is just trust my heart. All I can do is just trust my feelings. I just go with my gut. I'm just gonna be true to myself. That's what Disney told me. I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna go through it as long as I'm honest. If I follow my heart, everything will be fine. No, it won't. No, it won't. This is terrible. Why? Because our feelings are wonderful gifts from God. They are amazing. They are joyous. They can be so for, super helpful in our lives, but they do not always tell us the truth. Even deeply felt feelings, as much as we feel them, do not always reveal the truth. Sometimes they do, but many times they don't. And if all we do is base our life on our feelings, they are going to be fleeting. They are going to be changing. And you and I will find ourselves shipwrecking our lives if all we do is follow the ups and downs of our feelings instead of putting our lives on the bedrock of the one true God who was and is and is to come. The one who created everything and will be here at his end. The one who sees all of human history and whose sovereign controlling hand is a part of all of it. We may not understand in the moment, but when you and I put our faith in the Lord, we will not be disappointed. Why? Because he does not change. Where are you putting your feet? What do you base your decisions on? Because if you and I don't put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if we don't put it in the Lord who is unchanging throughout generations, we will find ourselves shipwrecked. So the first thing they do is that they put their faith in God's sovereignty over their circumstances over their, instead of their feelings. Here's the second thing. They choose not to compromise. They choose not to compromise. 
They make a call and say, look, we are in a foreign land. We know we're going to be opposed. We know most everybody doesn't believe like we do, but we are making a decision that we will not defile ourselves. We belong to the Lord first and foremost. We belong to the Lord above all. Therefore, we will not defile ourselves with the things of this world. We choose, even at grace cost to ourselves, we choose to follow after him. We will not compromise. It's an amazing decision. But please note that not everybody made that call. Not all of the Israelites made that decision. Look at verse three and notice what it says there. In verse three, it says, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility, used without blemish, over to Babylon. So the king is bringing some of the people. Now look at verse six. It says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were not the only four boys brought from Israel, but they're the only four whose names we know. Do you know why? Because there's a whole bunch of other young men from Israel who may have started out like Daniel and the guys, but once they got into Babylon and they sat at the king's table and they learned their new name and they began to learn all of the culture of the Babylonians, slowly and surely, not in all one fell, fell swoop, but slowly and surely, they simply began to compromise. I can eat the food, it's fine. I kind of like the sound of the new name. It's good. That's something new. I haven't heard that before. Maybe there are some different ways to heaven. That's differently. Okay, I guess everybody can have their own God. We can have multiple truths. That's fine. You can do that. Okay, I, I see that. Okay, wow, I haven't heard of that before. Now they look at all the things that they've done. And slowly and surely, they begin to compromise. They begin to leave the Lord behind where at the end of three years, you see four young men who stand for the Lord and are clearly marked out as different And then you see Babylonians who used to be Israelites. And this is the challenge for us as well. As you and I walk out of the world, almost no one abandons their faith wholesale in a moment. Almost no one loses their faith in one fell swoop. Instead, it is the slow tide of compromise that little by little ebbs away at our faith. Small decision by small decision that slowly moves us farther and farther away from the Lord until we wake up one morning only to realize we don't have any faith left at all. That we have given up on the God who loves us, who created us, who chased after us, who gave us life to save us, who's reaching out to us. We find ourselves that we have compromised with the world. Can I ask you a question? Where do you feel tempted to compromise? Where do you feel tempted by the culture to compromise? Where, where do you feel the temptation to just do what everybody else is doing? And you might say, Adam, I'm not doing that. Okay, the the culture's gone crazy. They're doing all this stuff. I don't believe in in all this gender fluidity and this and that and all this. I'm not into all that. Praise the Lord. But what about all the other aspects of our culture? What about the materialism? The consumerism? The workaholism? The alcoholism? What about all the other aspects of our culture that slowly and surely pull us away from the Lord where we're not making any explicit denial of Christ but we wake up one morning only to realize that there's no real substance of our faith left. Every day we have to wake up and ask, where do I stand? Do I stand on myself? Do I stand on the culture? Do I stand on my circumstances? 
or if I placed my feet on the only place that is solid in the sovereign, steadfast nature of the God who loves me. And look, this is not just true for Daniel. This is true for all of us. Let me show you one passage. This is 1 Peter chapter 3. Starting verses 14 through 17. This is what Peter is talking uh, to a group of believers, a group of Christians in a different empire. Daniel's gonna find himself in the Median and then the, oh, actually the Babylonian and then the Persian empires. Later on, we're gonna see the Roman Empire. This is where the, Bibli- the New Testament biblical saints are based. And he calls them exiles. Peter will refer to them just like he would refer to Daniel as an exile, a stranger in a strange land. He says this, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good than if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Go back to that first slide if you would for just a second. Notice what it says in the middle. But in your hearts, verse 15, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Is there a decision in your heart? Not simply to say, I like Jesus Christ or I can agree with some of the things in Jesus Christ. Do when we, you and I see the Lord, do we set him apart as holy? He is different. He is other. He is sovereign. He is steadfast. He is not one among many. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. He was the God who created everything. He will be here at its end. He is the God who moves human history. And even though every single human empire has done their best to squash the Lord, and his people to kill Christianity. Not one of them stands, but our God stands sovereign and steadfast still. Is that where you put your hope? When you think of the Lord, do you recognize he's holy? He's different. I know our culture is swirling. I know the culture is in chaos. I know it's changing around us and it is sorely tempting to simply say, I just want to be get along with everybody. I just I don't want any fight. I just want to do these things. But do we sacrifice our faith in the Lord simply to get along for a few days? Or do you and I say, listen, I am not going to fight back with harshness or with vitriol, with gentleness and respect. We will stand firm on the truth of God's word. Which, P.S., please don't just trust me. I don't always get everything right. Guess who else doesn't always get everything right? You. Right? Collectively, we don't always get everything right. We don't. There is something that has stood the test of time, the Lord and his word, which remains forever. This is why when we open it up, we said, let's look at God's word together. Don't just trust me. Don't just trust somebody else. Please do not trust whoever's on YouTube. Listen, look at this thing. Get into God's word and see what it says. It has stood the test of time. This is God's word that was there in Daniel's time. It was there in Peter's time. It's there in our time because the God who wrote it still stands sovereign and steadfast. Where do you put your feet? Where do you stand? Do we stand amongst the shifting sands of our culture, of the temptations that it brings? Or do you and I stand Solid and steadfast because the God who loves us, who gave his life for us, who conquered all sin, death, hell, and the grave, and even now is alive, is steadfast. Do we put our faith and trust in him? Daniel lived through incredible chaos and so are we. I have no idea what's going on in the culture right now. I don't. I don't think anybody else does either. 
Read a book by a guy named Mark Sayers. He's one of my favorite pastors. He's a pastor in Australia. Talks about the culture. And in his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, it just came out recently, he said that our culture is moving from a, a system of stability into some other system, and we don't know what that is. But all of the old systems are in flux. They are changing, which makes everyone anxious. We're all nervous and scared because old things and old patterns don't work anymore. We don't know where we're going. Everything is just in flux and in this gray zone, this in-between time, we will all be tempted to trust ourselves, to trust our culture, to trust our circumstances, but we are not left without a foundation. I don't understand all of the culture. I don't understand all the circumstances. I do understand that the God who made everything calls us by name. He calls us sons and daughters. He has forgiven us of our sins and calls us to be his. He calls us out of the world. He says, don't follow the ways of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll know what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Will we turn to the world or we will instead turn to the Lord and say, I don't have to understand, but I choose to put my faith and my trust in you and you alone. Where do you stand? So do this one. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. We're gonna close in just a moment and have an opportunity to worship through song. And I don't, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're tempted with. I don't, I don't know what this is like for you. I just know that we're all in this. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? You might find yourself incredibly anxious this morning to watch the news, to watch the world, to see what's going on. It might be incredibly anxious for you. That's normal. It seems like chaos out there. And yet through empires rising and falling, through upheavals, through cultural changes, there is one constant throughout all of it. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was and is and is to come. He is solid, sovereign, steadfast in the midst of our changing culture and changing circumstances. And no matter what happens, you can bank on him. So what if we do that this morning? Again, I don't have any special answers for you. I don't have a prophecy of the future. But I can tell you this. The same God who is sure and steadfast today is going to be sure and steadfast tomorrow and the next day and the next. No matter what the culture does, no matter what happens in your circumstances, he will not leave or forsake you. He will not abandon you. He will not change from being the holy God he is. The only question left remaining is, will we? Will we stay with him or will we leave? I wonder if this morning we can simply choose like Daniel to say, I can't fix everything, but I can choose to say, I trust the Lord. And so Father, help us. (laughs) We really don't have any idea what's going on or where it's all going. And the people who do are guessing. But you've seen it all. Lord, you know it. You've seen the end already. And Lord, it's firmly in your hand. No one can snatch us out of your hand. No one can alter your will. 
And so, Lord, when the world boasts loudly of their power and concern, when they they throw off the arguments at us, would you simply help us to put our trust in you and to plant our feet not in ourselves or our circumstances or our culture, but simply to put our trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for being sovereign and steadfast in a storm. We love you, and we choose to say thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Stand up if you will. Let's worship together. Maybe you want to come and simply pray at the altar. Maybe you want to come and pray with me. Maybe you just want to lift up a song of praise to the Lord. Well, let's choose in this moment to thank him for being the steadfast God that he is.